You've heard, of course, that there have been two attempts on my life. I have. I was very concerned. I consider Blake to be responsible. Oh, not personally, of course. But stories of his exploits are still circulating. They excite people. The fact that he is still free gives them hope, and that is dangerous, Travis. Hope is very dangerous. The loss of it can be fatal. Have you seen me dice bag? <laughs> Files. Hello, my name is Dirt the Dice, and this is the Grognard Files podcast, where we talk bobbins about tabletop RPGs from back in the day and today. I'm coming live from my den here at the heart of the northwest of England. I'm surrounded by my stuff. To my right is my great library of RPGs from the 1980s and beyond, while here on my left is the ridiculous homemade shrine to the actor Caroline Monroe. I'll uh, just give it a tap. Ah, once again, it's Star Crash. As in this episode, we'll prove that Stella Star didn't have the monopoly on space bikinis. This is a gaming podcast about 80s gaming, but we weren't playing in a vacuum. The events and popular culture that surrounded us had an impact on what we played and how we played. On my desk at the moment is a copy of New Voyager, a short-lived British magazine from 1982, with the tagline, Today's magazine for those who can't wait till tomorrow. I could never afford to buy it at the time, but I think I've mentioned before in the episode about 2000 AD, Bernard Parkinson, my first employer, allowed me to borrow magazines because I was his relief paper delivery boy. I have issue one here from autumn 1982. On the cover is listed the features for this issue and it gives you a feel about the prevailing attitudes towards space exploration at the time. Patrick Moore, Venus, planet of little beauty. The UFO enigma, close encounters. Blade Runner, inside look at the SF thriller. Space shuttle, remember that? Update and latest pictures. SF Fantasy Gaming, board and role-playing. And Blake 7 Episode Guide, the complete first season. Here at the Grognard Files, our tagline is Today's podcast for those who can't be arsed with tomorrow because so much has happened yesterday. JG Ballard was right, we're nostalgic for the future. The heady utopian days of the 1960s, recently celebrated following the 50th anniversary of the moon landings, became more cynical in the 80s when space travel was more utilitarian and about the monetization of the commercial trips. How can we turn space into dollars? Little wonder that the day-glow optimism of Star Trek was replaced with the bleaker Blake 7 here in the UK. Terry Nation is famous for inventing the Daleks in Doctor Who, but he also created and wrote the complete first season and others of Blake 7, the subject of this episode. Pitched as Robin Hood and the Dirty Dozen in Space, it followed Blake and his band of renegades as they were pursued across the galaxy by the evil Terran Federation. It ran for four 
13-part episode Seasons between 1978 and 1981 and was incredibly popular with a peak of 10 million viewers and a fan base that endures to this day. But before that, we've had another iTunes review. Getting likes and subscriptions, shares and reviews are incredibly important as they help people find us in the worldwide webble dumpster of gubbins. And this is from Wayne Peters on iTunes. After initially bouncing off the early episodes, I eventually went back to this podcast and I'm glad that I did, as it's now easily the podcast highlight of my month. For people, mainly men to be fair, of a certain age and bent, it's like a warm bath in nostalgic honey. Dirk's a great host and the segments where he reminisces with Blythe are hilarious and insightful, providing an irreverent but highly affectionate look back to the hazy days of the 1980s and school holidays spent stuffed in a mate's bedroom or gathered around the kitchen table, jumping between planets and traveller, raiding ancient ruins in D&D diving from the flaming wreckage in car wars and crawling through the mud and blood in Warhammer's old world and so much more. Thanks, Wayne. He's revised it to remove the warm bath of honey bit, but I like the idea of him bathing in warm bath of honey, so I'll not allow it to be airbrushed from history. This episode is a long one, so please take your time. Use the pause button and take comfort breaks. As usual, it's in convenient, digestible chunks. If you've not seen the TV programme, I still think you'll get value from listening. The complete episodes are available on YouTube if you look hard enough. Blythe and Eddie join me in Port Street Beer House in Manchester to listen to some light jazz, sorry about that, and talk about episode 9, Project Avalon. We'll also share our experiences of watching the programme when it came out. Blake 7 didn't have an official role-playing game, but there was a fan version created by Kin Min Louie and Zoe Taylor in 1994 and distributed by Horizon, the Blake 7 Appreciation Society. I organised an online game for members of the Grog Squad, including Blythe, Doc Konkawe, who's recently done a roving report on his trip to Gen Con 19 on the grognardfiles.com site, Andrew Cousins, who kindly lent me his copy of the rules for us to use, Mike Hobbs, the Welsh wizard himself from Meeples and Miniatures podcast, and Mark Kitchen, a superfan who was desperate to play. I've included a sample of the actual play from the session in this episode. It turned out to be a great one-shot scenario. If you want advice on how to run one-shot sessions, good, practical, clear-headed tips based on experience, then bookmark Burn After Running, Guy Milner's blog. He's the guest for First, Last and Everything in this episode too. Finally, Blythe returns to face the Games Master screen, where I interrogate him to establish how much of a fan he really is. We also reflect on the Blake 7 RPG game too. I'll be back at the end to pitch Grogzine 20 to you. There's loads in it, probably too much to be honest, but it's too late now, I've done it. Ramblers, let's get rambling. Grogglebox! Welcome to Port Street Beer House in uh, Manchester. It's pouring down outside, but we've come inside and we're talking on the Gogglebox. The Grogglebox about Blake 7. And I've got uh, Eddie with me. Hello, Eddie. 
Hello there, Dirk. And I've got Blighty. Hello. Hello, right, so, Blake Seven. Is mm. this something that you used to watch? Yeah. I'm not, I know you did, Blighty. I used to watch, I still watch it. I know. <laughs> it's an eternal, eternal loop in my eyes. It would be if the family would let me. <laughs> what about you, Edna? I used to watch it, yeah, I think everybody did, because there wasn't that much on telly in them days, was there? Yeah. Uh, I think I have a bit of mixed feelings about it. I think I enjoy watching it now, but as a, as a kid, I don't know, there was something about it that kind of rubbed me up the wrong way. I don't know, there's the characters or what. Yeah. It wasn't, it was it's quite, bit, di- quite dark. It was dark, it? and I think as a kid, it, mm. uh, without realising, I think that's what slightly put me off. I mean, for sure. Then. It's a bit of a strange decision for a kids' programme. It, is, it was a kids' programme, wasn't well, it? Well, I, I don't know. Family. Is, is it? Was it? I don't know. Family programme. Is it even that, though? It's an odd, I think it's a bit odd programme. I think that's why I like it so much, because as a kid, I can remember being transfixed by it. And the appeal was, it was science fiction. So the appeal, obviously, was spaceships, Star Wars, Star Trek type stuff initially. But I can remember being transfixed because it was so dark and mildly disturbing in places. And I'd, I don't know if it was a kid's programme. It was on. What you forget is, this was the late 70s, early 80s, and things like the watershed weren't, and, and warnings before programmes were not as they are now. No, no, no. no you warned. I mean, I just watched a Harry Potter film that gave me a warning that there was uh, uh, mild peril and uh, horror, horror giant spiders in it. Very specific, yeah. But, but in those days, but in those days, you didn't get that, did you? No. You didn't get that. Yeah, and, and I think that's part of it. That was it a kids' program? It's almost like the writers had been told to go and create Robin Hood in space, and just left to their own devices. Yeah. So they had all sorts of strange stuff in there. Some of it quite sinister. Some of it kind of funny. Some of it just like Star Wars. Some of it, I don't know, like a kind of crime thriller of sorts. Just yeah. odd. I yeah. think that's why it has an enduring appeal for me, that it's yeah. a very odd programme. Yeah, because you know. he's on a jumped-up child molestation charge, isn't he? Well, he's on, he's on, a, he's on, <laughs> he's on trumped-up um, child molestation, and more to the point, the Federation have put false memories in children's brains. So they're not just fictitious. The children think they've been abused. I mean, yeah. it's kind of horrific. I don't, to be honest, when I was a kid, I don't think that registered particularly with me, because it's only in the first episode, isn't it? Yeah. But when you rewatch it, you do think, good God, where did they get away with this? So I think it's about seven, half seven on a Monday night. Where was yeah. Mary Whitehouse when you needed her? Well, I think, she, I think that was the point. She was knocking around doing all the protesting about things like the watershed, but I think now, Blake Seven would probably be a 9pm programme. Probably. Yeah. I would think now, given the yeah. content of it. Yeah. See, I, I never watched it. I never watched it as a kid because I think it was on at a time where I didn't have control of the TV, you know, because uh, you only had one television <laughs> in the house, yeah. and it was probably commandeered for Emmerdale Farm. I think it's just slightly more middle class, wasn't it? I had yeah. telly, I think we had a telly in the back room, I think you're right, that's, that's probably... <laughs> well, I had a lot of older brothers, so they yeah. <laughs> commanded the telly, my mum had no chance. <laughs> it's the same with um, Star Trek, I've only seen Star Trek for the first time this year, the original series. Because I never, I never saw it when it was on. I never saw it was on. I saw the repeats in the... Yeah, they repeated in the 80s, early 80s, didn't they? Yeah. Or BBC Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forever, it seems to be. Having said that, I do have a fascination with it because of the appearance of Matt Irving. I mean, Matt Irving was a special mm. effects supervisor and he used to be on Swap Shop. 
Yeah, showing it, you how he made things out of a toilet roll and an old washing up liquid bottle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, sellotaping two hairdryers together and yeah. spraying them. And I used to be fascinated with all that. But that, that was an odd thing about it, because I'm sure we'll get on to the NAF special effects, because um, it's a kind of ongoing joke with Blake 7 that some of the special effects were dreadful. But it was a strange thing, wasn't it, that on Swap Shop on a Saturday morning, Matt Irving would appear and show you how to make a Federation pursuit ship from washing up liquid bottles and some cardboard. And then when you saw it on Blake 7, that's what it was. That's what it was. He wasn't saying, he wasn't saying, I, I don't, obviously I don't use a washing up liquid bottle, but yeah. you, you can kids. What are you saying? This is how we make this is how we make them. And you watch it, what that? Oh yeah, oh, it, is, it, is, it is an old air dryer. Oh, see, right, yeah, yeah. it's not. Uh... Matt, Matt Irving was a bit of a, 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 a like, cult figure. Mm-hmm. And I used to love it, because he used to appear in um, Starburst magazine as well, and all the magazines, you know, special features. And uh, <laughs> yes. I used to think he was a genius. Yeah, well, I, I think he was. I think yeah. he was, probably with a limited budget. He managed to knock together all those things that as a child entertained us and made us think, because on you know, one hand he did think, I know that Federation pursuit ship is a fair liquid ball. But on the other hand, you did, you did believe it. You, yeah. you suspended your disbelief. You didn't go, oh, this is rubbish, or I didn't. I thought, well, it's still good though, isn't it? Look what he's yeah. done with the watch. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're going to look at uh, Project Avalon, which is, uh, is it episode nine, isn't it? If, uh, I think so, something like yeah, that. So yeah, fairly well into the first yeah. season. Um, which is quite significant because I think by this time it's getting into the stride of it, isn't it? Yeah. And getting the idea because those yeah. initial ones you don't get the idea that they are um, they're fugitives running away from the Federation. You don't, you don't. No, no. It, it's, it's more of a cycle. They just have adventures, don't they? The first yeah. one. First yeah, the kind of yeah, the the rebel thing kind of builds quite slowly doesn't it the first two or three episodes you don't get that they're just kind of escaping from prison he's, he's obviously a revolutionary Blake but the others are just crooks who are out for escaping and not going to the prison planet so yeah, yeah. so this one is where um, Travis has hatched a new plan because he's failed twice before <laughs> to capture Blake <laughs> and he very conveniently explains this plan to the mutoid Glynis Barber. Glynis Barber, who later appeared as Sulin. Strange that. Uh, she's in it, she's in it later. Oh, she? She's one of Blake, oh yeah, she's yeah. one of Blake Seven. Oh, right. And then I, I think, I don't know if it's season four or three and four, it might just be four, but she's Sulin. So is it not meant, it's not mentioned that she was a former mutoid? No, 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 it's a completely different character. A different character, but Sulin is a kind of hotshot, kind of. Gunfighter, gunslinger kind of character. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Gunnis Barber plays plays Sula. Right. And, and so uh, Travis explains his rather convoluted plan to uh, get the Liberator, because not only is um, Blake the target, but the Liberator has become the target as well. Hasn't well they it? want the Liberator because it's kind of alien technology, isn't it? So they yeah. want it because it's very fast, and they don't want to just blow him up and shoot him out of the sky. They want to ca- capture it, don't they? So his, his plan is to capture Avalon, and Avalon is a, a rebel leader, um, and uh, there's a there's somebody betraying her on the planet, isn't there? Is it Turlock? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Gives yeah. It, gives it, gives her away. Yeah. And uh, he kills them all, doesn't he? Kills them all, including yeah, him. Yeah. 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 All of them. 
Yeah. It's again, it's one of those those moments in it where, as a kid, you would think, blimey, Beautiful. just yeah, just kind of murdered me, just, just gummed them all down. That's it. <laughs> you know. You know. And uh, it's a frozen planet, isn't it? This uh, planet. It looks a lot like Wookie Hole, but they all did this. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. it is Wookie Hole. It's a quarry, all, yeah. quarry or Wookie Hole, yeah. Yeah. So they're, they're in, in Wookie Hole and uh, it's um, a frozen planet and the outside is that line, that great line. That, do, do you know that one word? Avon, Avon says, so Villa says, uh, oh, I can't go down there because I've got a weak, a weak heart. Mm. And he says, well, the rest of you is not much to speak of. <laughs> really big camp. Delivers in a camp way, doesn't he? He's a camp character, isn't he? You know? yeah, yeah. I always think he's one, in some ways, he's one step removed from the sinister Larry Grayson. <laughs> you know, the way, the way he was just a karate chop in it. He's a very camp, isn't he? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and um, and, and when, when Blake gets down there, he finds out that Shevna, is it Shevna? Okay. I don't know if you know what it survived, doesn't it? Yeah, one of, them, one of them survived and tells, tells Blake what's, what's going he on. He wasn't yeah. the traitor, was he? No, no, no he's, he's just one of the, the gunned down people. It's, right. it's interesting though, because when that Shevna, when, whenever he's around, you're never quite sure. And that's what's quite interesting about this mm. episode. You're never quite sure who's yeah, side he's a spy. Yeah. It's not obvious, is it, that he's a good guy? It's not obvious, and I think that's something that runs through a lot of Blake's seven episodes, that you're never quite sure who the good guys and the bad guys are. Obviously, the, the classic one is Avon, is he good, is he bad? But even some of the more incidental characters who are just in one episode are sometimes turncoats or they're not quite what they seem. Yeah. You know, that's a kind of common theme, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you finally see um, Travis is interrogating Avalon. And for some reason, he's put her in a bikini. <laughs> Yeah, she's put in a bikini, um, Silver with bikini. her head in a box. Flashing yeah. lights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you imagine she's put her, you imagine she wasn't captured in a bikini. It's no. a cold planet, isn't it? What are <laughs> you doing in a bikini? Because <laughs> you don't see her before that, do you? No, 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 you just hear her referred to, don't you? Don't uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, <laughs> he's interrogating her with this like CT scan, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, this old he's codger who's yeah. a scientist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's doing his readings. But we're not, we're not, they're doing kind of readings, and he ref, the, the old scientist refers to, oh, yes, all going very well. And uh, Travis says, oh, well, you know, whatever you need. Kind of a bu- discussion about budgets, really, <laughs> the Federation budgets, <laughs> the spreadsheets. Yeah. Whatever you need, don't worry the budget. Yeah. But they, they refer to something, but not, it's not made clear, is it, what? They're actually planning at this stage. No, no, because uh, it is a very devious plan. Isn't very it? devious plan, yes. <laughs> very convoluted. Co- plan. Convoluted, devious plan. <laughs> and then um, after doing the interrogation, Serverland appears, doesn't she? Yes. She comes on. Yeah. And she's a bit tetchy with uh, Travis, isn't she? Yeah. She always is, doesn't she? She's always tetchy with everybody, really. Why does she talk really? like Margaret Thatcher all the time? She mm. does talk like Margaret Thatcher. I thought that as well. Like Margaret Thatcher. Does yeah. she do well, that on purpose? I don't know. I, I do wonder whether in later episodes, when in the because it, it ran till about 1982, I think, whether in later ones she became more like Margaret, a kind of <laughs> a kind of sexy Margaret Thatcher, if one can imagine such a thing. Um, it's a disturbing idea, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, you know, she she says, "Do not fail me again." That kind of thing, mm. isn't it? Because she she's feeling a bit embarrassed. Yeah. And you get the sense that she's trying to put distance between her and him in this one. Mm. 
that you know that you know this is your last this chance your last chance and he comes up he, he says that he's got this nerve agent doesn't he at this yes. point yeah Phobos or something yeah the, the Phobon bomb or something the Phobon plague the Phobon plague the Phobon plague it's good that yeah. doesn't sound good it's a good name for a plague it's a good name Phobon plague I think I cleaned my toilet this morning with some Phobon <laughs> Phobon plague yeah yeah and um, he, uh, he he demonstrates what he does, and this mm. is horrible. Isn't it? it is horrible. I remember this quite vividly as a kid. And I think again, it's one of those moments to add me kind of unsettled because he gets a well. He says, doesn't he, something about go and find a prisoner to test this on, and if you can't find a prisoner, just go and get someone. Yeah, just go and grab a civilian, get him in here, yeah. and they bring this guy in. No, they? they test it. Yeah. Obviously, doesn't say a word. This guy, obviously, equity. At the time, if he said something, they had to pay him more. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't say what, what are we doing here. <laughs> no question. No questions asked. Sits down, and then they they crack this like thing, don't they? And they yeah, the four by he kind of turns into fungal moss, doesn't he? Yeah, it's like an algae, isn't it? Mm, like it's, a, a, it's it's a terrible special effect. But again, at the time, I remember as a kid being quite unsettled by it because it's done in such a and the thing is done in such a cold way. They just yeah. they just essentially kill someone for experimental purposes there's a whiff of a whiff of the nazis about them isn't there yeah quite yeah. intentionally so i think yeah well it's, i think it's programs we watch today that have gone soft yeah. <laughs> kids today kids today <laughs> stuff like that was commonplace i think with all programs like that more in the 70s very dark isn't it yeah tv but even if more so than it is today, so that was probably nothing to the writers. But if you think of um, Robin of Sherwood, which come just a bit later than this, you wouldn't have got um, Gisborne demonstrating uh, no. somebody getting the bubonic plague or no. something. No, or, or like in the earlier scene, you wouldn't get Gisborne slaughtering a load of peasants, no. literally slaughtering them in front of your eyes. Whereas in Blake Seven, they are those people are gunned down. Yeah. They, could, they could do it without it being so uh, bloody. Yeah. They fire them, they fire in, in Robin of Sherwood, they'd have to hit them with swords and a bit yeah. more brutal on yeah. firing the pop guns. Yeah. But I know what you mean, it, it, it's, it, is, it is quite brutal and some cold yeah. and quite nasty in some respects. In yeah. a lot of respects, really. So then we get the prison breakout. Yeah. Now the prison breakout, so Villa and uh, Blake and Sherbon. Is it is it Sherbon? Sherbon. I don't know whether that's a car, like Vauxhall. Probably was in the seventies, yeah. Vauxhall Sherbon. Well they came in beige and brown. <laughs> it's the seventies. There was a woman, what's the other woman? It was Callie and what's it's the um, Glynis. Not she what's Glynis Brown. Not Callie, is it? It's Jenna. Jenna Jenna, Jenna, Jenna goes down because Jenna's always yeah. a bit attractive one. Yeah, she, I, I used to quite like her as a as a young boy. Yeah. But now watching it again now I think it's kind of irritating because she's a bit of a it's soft on Blake, isn't she? Just does as she's told, yeah. you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bit too complaining. A bit, a bit too complaining. <laughs> she's the only likable character in the bunch. As a kid, none of them you could, you could associate with. Blake no. was a, weird, a bit weird with his angry episodes. <laughs> Avon was. You can't trust Avon. He was the coward. Villa. Villa was the coward, so you couldn't associate with him as a kid. Because you needed a hero to identify with. There was a big guy, Gan, was Gan, it? Yeah. He was just a lump. Who had a metal implant, and then the two women, which she was the only normal. Callie was a little bit okay, an alien, an alien she? wasn't yeah. she? Yeah. So she was a standard one, but as a young boy watching it, you 
couldn't associate with her being a woman. Could no. you, you could these days, I suppose, but not then. No, at uh, age 10, 11 <laughs> so years old. That, maybe yeah. that's why I didn't feel it was... That was always one of the odd things about it, that, that the characters weren't, you know, likeable. That, that's yeah, another thing as a kid white, that, that sort of transfixed me a bit, that these, you know, you think, well, what do I make of these people? Yeah. No, they're not. Bill is, Bill is a coward. Yeah. He's openly a coward. Yeah. Avon's like a nasty piece of work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and believe in Blake, he's a bit fanatical, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Irritatingly fanatical, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. So this prison breakout, the uh, get the list of the uh, prisoners. I don't know if you noticed, but they go through the list. Uh, and have a look. So this is the one you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that one. Yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. And and so they they escape, and there's a bit of a firefight, isn't it? And they they make haste and yes. go away. Yeah. But Blake's suspicious. Of course, suspicious yeah. that they've been allowed to get away. Because yeah. they keep missing them when they shoot, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So, is that stolen from Star Wars? Oh, they let us get away. They let us get away. Princess Leia. Was that before or after Blake's so was that? Was that in the original before, Star, Star Wars? Wars before. 77 Star yeah. Wars, wasn't it? 78 was Black yeah. 7. There's a line in Star Wars, isn't there, where she says, oh, they let us get away to TIE yeah. Fighters. Yeah. A tracking mm-hmm. device, haven't they? So the, um, uh, the, they're on board the Liberator, he's a bit suspicious of this. And then there's this business of trying to find uh, Avalon's uh, gown. Mm. Oh yeah, where's my gown? Where's my gown? And Gallon has a role, this is, a, this is his contribution <laughs> to the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the Poor fella, I bet he has to be killed off, isn't he? <laughs> it's a pathetic part of that. Yeah, to find this thing. And of course she's got this uh, four bomb bomb, whatever it is. Yeah. Have, have we been told? Has the big reveal been made yet? I can't remember. No. What's that? The, the big reveal that it's not Avalon, of course. This is the point. Yeah, this is the point. Is it? Is a bit. Of, they she, think it's her sister who was that. Chevron. Chevron. Chevron, Chevron gives, it, gives it. Gives a bit of a warning, doesn't it? But yeah. he. He, he, Bump, he bumps off. Bumps off, doesn't it? He, di- he dies before. So they have. Avalon gets uh, Avon. I'm getting Avon. Avon. <laughs> really, they could have come up with a better name. Come yeah. than Avalon. Avon. <laughs> The surname's Hill. Interesting <laughs> <laughs> to games after the revolution. Avalon, Avalon's uh, Avon takes the side of Avalon's head off. That's right. Yeah. And she's an android, isn't android. she? Android. And she's quite creepy, that bit. It is creepy. Yeah. It's, cre- it's creepy, but also slightly hilarious when you think that the Federation security robots that we've seen in earlier episodes are dustbins on wheels. <laughs> and yet, somehow, they've managed to make an android, yeah. you know. Talk about plowing your resources into the wrong thing. <laughs> dusty, dusty bin, dust, dust bin on wheels. As a security robot, but Avalon's a walking, talking android, indistinguishable from a human being. Yeah, with a strange uh, gyroscope in her head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's trying to keep very, very still. There's <laughs> <laughs> the projection of these <laughs> things on the side of her head. Yeah. Um, so it's Blake then. Um, Teleports down, doesn't he, to uh, Travis? Yes. With the with the. They reprogram uh, the the android. Don't android. They reprogram yeah. it. Yeah. Avon does. Being a computer genius. Yeah. And they go down and uh, and they're there. They have this uh, company. This, this face off, don't they, uh, yeah. Travis? And he um, gets away, doesn't he? Because he puts the bomb between the uh, android's fingers. Yeah. The plague. The plague. 
pellet or whatever pellet. it is. Four bomb, bomb. Plague, four bomb, plague. Four bomb, bomb. Disc. And uh, he was about to kill him and uh, he managed to teleport away. And, uh, With Avalon, he rescues the real Avalon. The real Avalon. The real Avalon's uh, uh, rescued. And uh, what does Charlie say on the floor? I'll, he, get, he, you. He, I'll get you, Blake. Yeah. I'll get you, Blake. I'll get you. On the buzzes. On the liberators. He's just like a bit of a. <laughs> like a little warm, warm to himself. <laughs> <laughs> does he look at the camera while he says that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, what am I doing in this? <laughs> I'm meant for better things. Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> and he's just led, made, made to wear that ridiculous leather. Jumpsuit thing that you know, you've got a figure for it, has he? <laughs> I mean, you know, he's, he's not a fat man, but he's, he's got a bit of a belly, hasn't he? Yeah. Really, it's been awful, really. Yeah. He makes a better Travis, though, than the one that comes in. The one who comes two. later. Yeah, 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 they do change actor. And uh, the escape, and then that, that's it. That, that's it. Does he catch the four bomb thing? Yeah, he, catch, he catches it, it, doesn't he? Catches it, yeah. it, and that's when he makes his little mumble. I don't know what he says. No. He says, I'll get you, Blake. Does he? Yeah. I'll get you, Blake. You've watched it on YouTube, haven't you? So I have. Yeah. I've got the DVDs. I ah, right. I watched it on YouTube. All I could hear was... Was so, so what do we make of uh, this, this episode? And what do you think of Blake 7? Using Blake 7 stories in games. I think the interesting thing about Blake 7 is the fact that They've got these get out of trouble devices, which they really have to scratch, i.e. the bracelets. Yeah, yeah. Which they have to scratch the reds in every episode, how to not allow that being such an easy <laughs> opportunity for the heroes to escape from every situation. So in most episodes, they always have uh, some crisis happening on the Liberator, because they always leave two people on the Liberator, or one, one or two yeah. people on the Liberator. The rest of the party goes onto the planet, and if they come up against any crisis, it's so, it's so easy to, for the viewer to say, "Well, why don't they just yes, teleport out?" You're right. But they always have some like incoming pursuit fighters. Right. <laughs> the the liberators got to be taken off. Or they right, get them yeah. stolen off them. Yeah. It's almost like the teleportation gets them into trouble very easily. So it'll yeah. always get them into a place. But then when it comes to getting out, there's a, you're right, you're issue. absolutely right. They always yeah. put some kind of issue. It's, just, it's a plot hole. Yeah. Hang on. They could just teleport out. Yeah, yeah. yeah or you in a... I mean, the good thing is they address it on most episodes without yeah. people thinking, well, they could just uh, jump out of it. So, uh, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. And I've watched uh, the first season and uh, I'm coming into the second season. What have I got to look forward to? Does it get better? Goodness, Barber. Ceiling, she's yeah. in the third one, though, which she? she's not in third, season third two. Third or fourth, yeah. yeah I think. But does it get better? You mean it gets better? How <laughs> <laughs> dare you? It does, <laughs> up until the episode where they, they go to some kind of, I don't know, I think it's a casino or some kind of nightclub, which is at the very, <laughs> very end of season two. And then yeah. you had to break wall with that. It's some weird cabaret act or something. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't know what it's. I know it's the penultimate episode of, mm. uh, of uh, season two. It so gets. Yeah. Don't it, watch that. It certainly gets. I would say seasons three and four. Seasons like it's an American thing that series, British series. Yeah. Series three and four do get a bit more camp and a bit more like 
Star Wars meets an ABBA concert, you know, you get more silver jumpsuits, Avon's, Avon's costumes get more into like studded leather and weird stuff that right. does, does become more camp, more science, and a bit, I suppose a bit more science fiction as well, I would say, so it becomes a bit more... Less dark, does it? I don't think it becomes less dark at all. Uh, it becomes a bit more darker actually because Avon becomes the uh, the leader because Blake is only in episode, is only in series one and two, and he for, for contractual reasons. Yeah, well, I think I think uh, the guy playing Gareth Thomas he didn't like it. He, yeah. he thought he was meant for better things. He didn't like yeah. it, but he was, so he wanted to leave. This is this is I, true. This is but I read somewhere that he wanted to leave, and they thought well, it's a real hit. This it was a really popular TV show. Yeah. They didn't want to stop it. So they, rather than change actor, because they tried that with Travis, so that probably hadn't worked. So they just each disappeared. Yeah. There's a see at the end of season two, um, things happen and then they're all separated and Blake disappears. And so in a way, it's quite good because in the next two series, they're looking for Blake. Blake is like a presence. He's still out there somewhere. What's he doing? Yeah. So it does work quite well actually. That he's not just dead. He's Lost, it could be anywhere. They're kind of looking for it to some extent. That's that's an intriguing premise for a game as well, isn't mm, it? So yeah, yeah, it works, play it works very well. A play character who yeah. goes and you have to find him and recover him. That works quite well. But yeah. it, I think it, it doesn't get it doesn't certainly doesn't get worse. And I think it's it was kind of cut off in its prime, really. Yeah. You know, maybe everyone just got a bit fed up of it, writing and working on it. But it's got cut off in its prime. It doesn't get terrible it's, it's got there was no other sci-fi that replaced it was there no no at that time no, no, straight up that standard sci-fi mm. show but it does get more more kind of I'd say camp's the right word but more science fiction-y yeah you know what I mean that kind of thing so there's one episode for example I think it's they call Star Drive where they're looking for a, a new drive for the ship because they end up in the fourth series they end up with a ship called Scorpio with Liberators destroyed and they're looking for a, a new drive and these there's these space rats who are these kind of criminal space pirates who are speed freaks so it's a bit more like that rather than I think in the early series it's a bit more gritty yeah you know you know Federation what I mean yeah always, yeah man. whereas later on and there's no there's no Travis in it Travis is bumped off at the end of season two. Oh, so there's you, no, yeah, so I'd spoil it for you. But <laughs> tough Serverland's in it, but. Um, He's my favourite character. Yeah. But it's, I think it, it's perfectly. It, Not it, in season two, he isn't. Nice I'm probably the wrong person actors. to ask because I do love it. So yeah, I, you're I, I am the wrong person, aren't I? But it uh, doesn't get worse, it gets, in some ways, gets better. I'm enjoying uh, discovering it for the first time. I kind of wish I'd seen it back then, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't have many memories of it. I remember watching it, because it would have been on telly. Yeah. I remember I think, the character, but I don't remember any of the episodes watching them again. I think as well, it's, it's notable as well for having strong female characters in it as well. So yeah. when you think back to that era of science fiction and fantasy, females were not portrayed particularly well. But yeah. Serverland was a very strong female character. Um, and later on, uh, Sulin. Uh, kind of strong, you know, Dana, yeah. uh, who's black, you know, black woman, who was kind of probably the toughest member of the crew of that in the later series, you know, mm. that kind of thing in it, yeah. which again people kind of overlook, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
thanks a lot for that and for the Kroger box we need to get back with our appointment with beer <laughs> uh, so thanks a lot Biden goodbye thanks a lot Ed cheers okay bye see you in a bit I don't play okay by the you've been waiting your whole life for this introduce yourself as Avon outwardly cold supremely emotionless and logical so I think the first two I'll be okay with always acts out of own self-interest uh, right, I'm playing Kelly, so I'm an Arana, uh, a telepath from Auron. I left my planet to go and fight against the Federation and was saved by these guys before I went out fighting. Hi, I'm Jenna. I'm, I'm an unscrupulous space-going smuggler. Um, happened to fall into a trap, and I've managed to escape with the help of, uh, of Blake and uh, Avon. When we seize control of the liberator, I'm slightly sardonic, and I'm a little bit attracted to Blake, which I've decided to play to its fullness for oh. two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Only human. <laughs> you, you fool. Yeah, I'll be I'll be playing Villa Wrestle, <clears throat> a Delta Grey from Earth, genius lock picker. A uh, mental conditioning didn't seem to have any effect on me. I remain a compulsive thief. <laughs> uh, he's he's kind of a, a a bit of a cowardly character, but he can be quite heroic at times. Thanks, Andy. And uh, last but not least, of course, is Blake. You you all know me. I founded the Freedom Party um, uh, until I was arrested on trumped up charges uh, and escaped en route to Cygnus Alpha. Um, I'm a passionate and charismatic idealist who seeks to destroy the tyranny of the, te of the Terran Foundation. Some would describe me as headstrong, possibly Avon, um, uh, and uh, overly emotional. Um, he, he claims I don't think things through, but the one thing you know about me is that I am uh, deep down moral. Uh, well, fingers crossed, uh, we may even have killed off both Travis and Servalan with my cunning android-based trap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how effective that's been. So, you're at the point now where you're about to deliver an Avalon to the destination that um, that you're originally uh, going to take her to. And um, before she's teleported down to the planet, she starts to talk about some of her concerns. While she was being interrogated by uh, Travis, it was a pretty intense interrogation. And... During that time, she starts to explain that she wasn't fully aware of what she may have been disclosing. And she worries that she may have revealed the location of Gonzago. Does he appear in anybody's brains? What about, what about Callie? Yeah. Is that really the time point? Yeah. Yeah, um, 80% then. That's a critical. That's a critical. Nice. Yeah, you're you're aware of Gonzaga's. He's uh, he's a trained assassin, and um, he also originates uh, from your home planet. Uh, he's also an Auron. He, he's got a, a, a solid reputation for killing Federation officials. He, he, he's he's a prized asset for the for the resistance. Avalon starts to explain that recently he has managed to infiltrate the Federation to its highest level and he had an, an assassination attempt on Servalan herself using a, a nerve agent. She begins to believe that the nerve agent, Federation military, they've turned it into a, a lethal substance. So she, she says that 
it's important that you locate uh, Gonzales and warn, warn him that the Federation know that he's on Drago and if necessary you need to rescue him. Okay. How will we find him? She explains that on the uh, uh, on Drago it was a former Federation um, mining colony and there's a refinery um, on the colony that's now defunct. There's some colonists there that there's a base of retired miners and he was heading there. Now he says, it, she does warn you that although the Federation have no presence, no longer have presence on Drago, the um, the inhabitants of the planet are still fairly servile to the Federation. So we'll find a few friends on Drago. Zen, what can you tell us about Drago? Information. <laughs> Drago is a mining planet previously used by the Federation to refine uh, materials for the bulkheads of pursuit ships Starburst class. Uh, the ore is now diminished and therefore uh, the supply is exhausted and the Federation have now declassified the planet. There are still residual defences remaining there. I advise caution. Zen, what's the travel transit time to Drago? 3,000 spatials. Uh, sorry, why is Go- Gonzago go on Drago? Did we, did we get any... Anything from Avalon on that? She just says that he is good. He, he, him and his cell are good at getting deep into uh, cultures. That's what they specialise in. So they probably just picked a decommissioned planet that was just off the scale just to lay low while this heat was on. Obviously, obviously this attempted uh, assassination has caused a great deal of embarrassment for, for the space commander. So now we're taking orders from another uh, idealistic fanatic. So going, one wasn't bad enough. <laughs> how do we? How do we know? How can we trust Avalon? We spent a lot of time down there with Travis. Are you suggesting Aval- um, uh, Travis has come up with a triple, uh, triple bluff? He's not that smart. We know we can trust Avalon because look at what she's doing. He's smarter through. than some of the people on the ship. So, yeah. Using my telepathy, I think think I can use it to detect. Is it strong emotions? Well, I think it, on your character sheet, it's just explained as um, telepathy, isn't it? Um, which you can roll eight to five percent at an expend of um, four side oh. points. Yeah, we'll do that. Seventy-eight. You get you detect that, uh, and and you know you. You know uh, Avalon of old, and she feels quite guilty about this revelation, and that you know she feels some sense of responsibility, not just to Gonzales but to the actual resistance movement because he's such a precious asset. So does Avalon know this guy? Are they just known as you know names to each other? She can't give you a description actually because she's never actually encountered him. In fact, for a number of years, she just assumed that he was some kind of alias or some kind of totem figure. Avalon, if you were trying to find this assassin, how would you track him down? I just know that he's on Drago. If Travis has got that information, the Federation is sure to send bounty hunters at least, or Travis himself may go. So you want us to get there and get him out before the Federation get there? Yes, but well, this is just a mission based on sentiment alone, isn't it? It's a mission based on getting an expert assassin uh, who is close to killing the high leader of the Federation, Avon. An expert assassin can surely look after himself as if he was an expert. Yeah. Well, everybody needs friends, Avon. 
even you. Speak for yourself. Is that what do we know about the system? Um, and the uh, any moons around there, around the planets. Mm, the, there is no moon of Drago. However, it is protected by a force shield. And is the force shield control room in a forest surrounded by small? You're thinking. You're thinking of the uh, wrong uh, Star Wars movie. Yeah. It's more like. Yeah. It's more like a donut-shaped space <laughs> orbiting space station, which allows uh, cargo ships in and out. However, uh, Zen also says that it's since the planet's become depleted, the Federation hasn't maintained the shield for a number of years. Can we teleport down from outside? Zen says that cellular structure may be transformed if uh, it passes through the sport of force shield. But for some, for some, Avon will say, for some of us, that might be a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so seven villa first. Look at villa. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, if, he, if Drago is an R and R, does does that mean I might be able to communicate with him from orbit? Well, why don't we try? I mean, we could go and set it. I mean, we're heading there at the moment. We can head to the far side of the planet from the uh, force field base, so they don't see us. And you could try that. I could try. I could try contacting him. I'm not no idea whether it'll work. Avalon departs, and she wishes you luck, Blake, and Callie. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Avalon. Uh, I hope you're able to continue your good work. It's an emotional moment. She looks far too <laughs> she looks far too young to be a resistance leader, but maybe that's me. They don't live long, do they? That's no. the thing. We're all young ones. Some of us have grown up. As you get nearer to the planet, you can see that the force shield has been activated and uh, Zen gives you the schematics of how it works and it seems to be about 26 orbiting satellites almost that create uh, a web across and as I said, there's this donut-shaped entrance but it, it it seems to be working but it's intermittent it looks like the shield has seen better days. Uh, so, so how how are you going to uh, position the liberator? What's your what's your uh, tactic? Keep on the dark side. Yeah. Uh, are we able to scan through through yeah. the force field and see if we can spot any centres of life? You, you can attempt that. Yeah, you can attempt that. So, what what skill are you going to use to uh, do that? We detector operations, maybe. Detector operations. That does sound good. Yeah, yes. that sounds good. Yeah, well, a bit of that. They're beautifully specific. These skills. That's they are why. Very I specific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so Jenna, you were going to initiate this. So I've got twenty. Nice. Although uh, Zen and the Liberator's uh, systems have difficulty penetrating the uh, force shield, it comes clear that this is mainly a planet of water and there are only a handful of landmass. And where there is, you can see that only one specific bit of landmass seems to have the thermal 
detection to see that there's some form of population there. So you're able to isolate it to a particular continent. So the force, the force field is powered by the satellites, yeah? Yeah, they seem to uh, generate the uh, energy around, uh, around the globe. It'd be a shame if one or two of them got blown up. Or if we teleport hmm. them, well, maybe more subtly... Okay. Is there any is there any way we could teleport on board with one and somebody good at electronics like Avon could disable it? <laughs> or, or Villa with his box of tricks. Or, or Villa, yeah. Or Gam yeah. hit it with a hammer. There's someone's gonna need it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but, an idea, I mean, this, isn't it? It does sound like an uh, an away team thing for Avon and uh, and Villa. It seems a bit heavily defended for a, a refinery. You know, perhaps uh, perhaps this is a bad idea. Are there any guns or, or are there any sort of weapons rather than just defences that we... So during uh, Jenna's scan, um, what struck you is that there doesn't seem to be any military arsenal. It, right. could, it could be that uh, when the Federation decommissioned the planet, they took that with it, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. What I want you to imagine is the special effect they've used here is like a a circle, but it's like tuned to a dead channel. (laughs) Okay. That's the the spill shit. A white noise circle. It's so vivid now. (laughs) (laughs) You can think of the picture in my head there. (laughs) So, Callie, why don't I take Avon and Villa over to one of these uh, satellites and see what you can do to get us through? So that, they let how do they let ships through? They, they, they activate and deactivate it. There's like a donut shaped um, space station. Um, like through the middle of it. Yeah, through the through the middle of it. The rest of the rest of it is these joined up web of um, connecting satellites. So the, the space station is manned, and people on the space station say, "Yeah, you come in. You don't." Yeah, it's potentially. like a, ga- a gateway, but there's there's people on the space station. Yeah. Oh right. Oh, are the satellites big enough that you can actually go onto them, or are they just satellites? Um, they are big enough to go onto. They're quite, they're quite big. These. Uh, well, that sounds these, perfect. Yeah. Avon, do you think are you good enough to put a back door into the satellite system to uh, so we can disable it when we need to? Avon arrogantly says good enough to do anything, but whether he wants to do it is another matter. I think Avon views this as a potential trap, though, because once we're down there. If if the force field stops us getting out, you know, it seems like a perfect opportunity for the Federation to lure us down there and uh, stop us getting back onto the Liberator and escaping. His his view might be that it's safer to get onto the space station and take complete control of this thing rather than knock out a satellite that could then be repaired in the intervening period. Would we have an idea of how many people would be on the satellite? On the space station? The so the space, sorry, the space, yeah, the space station rather than the satellites. Um, well, you could get uh, Jenna to do another. I'll have another scan if you want. Yeah. I think, okay. it's, I think it might be a better idea to take control of it because taking out a satellite, they fix it. Just, wow. Just out. Just out, uh, yeah. So when Jenna runs the, uh, the scan on the space station, it seems unable to penetrate the bulkhead. They've got shielding up, obviously. Ex-Federation tech. The, uh... But we've got schematics, haven't we, of the... Yeah. So yeah, so how big is it? How many rooms? Um, it, it, 
it's it's a donut shaped thing. It's about 50, uh, 50 rooms. It's like a, a circular, um, but it seems to be mainly um, power. You, you're probably aware of the protocols for these things. Is normally uh, you get um, personnel onboarding your craft and uh, just coming to um, arrangements. Unfortunately, the set there isn't a set design for the interior of the space station, so they'll come on board the Liberator. Right. <laughs> well, that's what they plan. I'll tell you what, the inside of a satellite would be cheap. Hey, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, the, uh, only, the only role-playing game where the things in the game are worse than what's in your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we put you down on a satellite, Avon, and you can at least look and see what you think about running a back door in. How about you try a surface communication and, and perhaps we don't need to go down? Well, he comes up and sees us. Yeah, send him a call him. He doesn't know us. I, I mean, try the telepathy thing. Well, we have come here, so yeah, absolutely, try the telepathy thing. <laughs> Good idea, Jenna. That is our original plan. What sort of level of difficulty... Do you think it is? I think it's a, it's quite an extreme difficulty. That's what it's. Um, I'm going to say that it's, it's very difficult, particularly whilst the uh, shield's in place. Yeah, no worries. I'll, I'll give it a try. Um, there is a chance. Not that we and I made it. What? Twenty-five out of thirty-five. Uh, that's not extreme difficulty. Well, let's find out. Mm. Well, I, I rolled under the under the skill. Yeah. So uh, Callie's eyes roll back, or whatever she does to she does, yeah. to, 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 to do that, and um, you just feel the sense of Gonzalez there. He is. You feel the power. Power comes into your head. So you got the power on the powerful. Is that is that what, what is that the sort of feeling I'm getting? I've yeah, powerful. powerful, strong, strength, resilience. Well, I'll relay that to everybody. So, so I can detect his mind, but I can't seem to communicate with him. You've, com you've confirmed he's there, haven't you? Just a thought: if if we try and take down one of these satellites mm -hmm. on the back door, that might get some of the crew from the station shuttle over there to see if they can fix it. Wouldn't it be better <laughs> to destroy or, or disable one of the satellites? Villa could leave behind something. Um, could he leave behind something explosive that we could trigger remotely if we needed to? Yeah, it'd be to take, uh, taking out the satellite completely is probably a better idea because it can't be repaired then, can it? Okay, well, blow it. why don't the two of you go down uh, with uh, Jenna helping? See what it's like. Uh, Avon, you can see whether you think it's beyond your electronic capabilities. And if it is, then Villa can set us up with an explosive. All right. That's, that's a wonderful idea, Blake. <laughs> I'm still not sure about this. <laughs> uh, it's wonderful ideas that involve other people. Uh, okay, so, yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll plan on doing that then. Getting teleport in, into one of the satellites, into the interior of one. Do they, they have an interior, don't they? Do we yeah. know of these? Do we know they look, you say that confidently? Oh. There, but I'm asking Chris. Do they have an interior? Yeah, they, James says there's an interior. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a maintenance uh, area where right. there's access. So we, yeah, and, pressurized uh, area yeah. we can go. Yeah, yeah. Right. it's all fine. It's all yeah. fine. Good. All right. It's fine. It, right. it looks like a room almost, you know, with uh, flashing lights. It's an ordinary room. Yeah, like yeah. with yeah. some flashing on a, on a power station. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
right, let's do it. Come on, Villa. Okay. <laughs> What's your demolition skill, Bill? 50. 50? Oh, good. Mine's 15. Yeah. So you're, you're the man to blow it up. I'm wondering if I might get a bonus, a bonus modifier for building the device, explosive device on the, on the Liberator rather yeah. than taking it down. That's a good idea, yeah. If we build it before we go. Like a grey shoebox size thing, won't it? Okay. Yeah. Be a shoebox. <laughs> With a blinking light. So Villa, you're going to put this together. You you have got some um, demolition charges on board the Liberator, so you can you can use those. How how, how are you going to put them together? What's your what's your plan? I'm going to get a big roll of tape uh, and some some uh, pointy things with uh, and that stick into them, looking at a big alarm clock, a big digital alarm clock that sits on top of it all. Yes. That fits nicely into a, a metallic shoebox-sized thing mm-hmm. with, a, with a red blinking light and a countdown timer on it. Brilliant. Excellent design. Do I need to, do I need to roll to see if uh, I can create this? I think it's probably electronics, is it? Or, or what, what's your approach? I, I've got demolition skills of 50. I was thinking if I, if I get a modifier for that, for doing it in the, yeah. the Liberator of... Uh, Twas twenty five. That would take me to seventy five, which would give me a better chance of making something that's actually going to work. I'll say that it's an electronics roll at um, so you've got forty, haven't you? So yeah. let's say you've got uh, give you an additional twenty five percent, so sixty five percent. If you succeed, I'll say that I'll increase your demolition skill by twenty five percent when you get on board. Oh, okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Okay, so I need less than 65 to make... Yeah. Okay, here we go. And if he fumbles? Oh, look at that. That's, look at that's that. Only... The tape is straight and everything on there. Yeah. <laughs> nice work, Billa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bring, the, bring the ship into range. Yeah. Flying casual. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so Blake will be on the teleport. Callie can be piloting the Liberator. We'll go in and we'll beam you down. So Blake, you have you're in control of the teleport, and so you need to do a. There will be a teleport skill, won't there? There, there is, is one. There is a of teleport. Of course, skill. there is. Excellent. Seems, this seems a good idea now, doesn't it? And, uh, Are you hundred uh, percent? I, I think we could agree. Well, let's say I'm as, as I'm as close to hundred uh, percent as uh, as any of us need here. Yeah, technically. Uh, well done. I, I'm technically five uh, five uh, less than that. You are wearing a spacesuit, I don't know. <laughs> I, I know I'm wearing the black leather studded outfit that I normally wear. You know, <laughs> slightly, slightly weird, you know, S&M ABBA outfit. <laughs> I think that was Series 2 before he started really wearing it. It was, yeah, you, you, leather. You, yeah. That's true. You're right there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Villa and Avon, you find yourself in a very confined space and... There's a very intense heat. You seem trapped, and the heat is rising. Right. Is there uh, a way out of this at all, a door? or? It is uh, pitch black. Wherever you've uh, been teleported to, you haven't been um, teleported into the maintenance area. You seem to be in some kind of... below uh, some engine gantry. Who let let Blake on the teleport? Mm. (laughs) Okay. Let's try and... um... Is there any way of ascertaining where the where the maintenance area would be from here? 
let you do a, a reason roll. Which is, reason. what's that? Is that times five? Times or? five, yeah. So you've got reason, I think you've got reason, reason is 20. Reason is twen- 20, so, yeah. Come on. Well, is it 99? Is it, does it have the fumble rule in? Presumably? It does, yeah. His logic kicks him. Okay, so you find that the um, you're underneath the engine, the 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 prime engine uh, drive of this. Mm. So to get out is going to be uh, a real struggle. You're going to have to crawl through the ducts. There's a the degree of risk to this as well. Well, you could just leave the bomb where you are, set the timer, and we'll uh, pick you up and take you know, teleport you somewhere random. Yeah, that that uh, get us just get us out of here. Yeah, that's true. Mm, but how thick is this bulkhead? Is it gonna is it gonna actually destroy the system? Do we want to be certain? Or it's a good point, Villa. I think you're gonna need yeah. to get closer to the uh, to the source. There <laughs> is a there is a risk that it won't typical, be done. Though. Typical Blake. Right, come on then. Let's uh, come on, Villa. Let's get uh, crawling through the ducks. Lead the way, Avon. Well, you lead the way because if there's a lot of them need picking, you need to pick it. <laughs> you hold you hold the chew box then. Villa's going to get one of these ducts uh, ducts opening I'm assuming it's uh, it's something you can unscrew from the wall and climb into yeah you could probably get by with crouching through through it but you're going to have to uh, crawl Um, it's not comfortable to crouch through it so they're quite wide these uh, ducts there's an intense heat uh, on you so it's it's affecting your 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 capacity to uh, to, to concentrate and do things but you you can start to slide your way through when you, when you move forward villa you notice that it ends with a sealed door almost like an irish valve they're almost impossible to get through <laughs> not if you're not if you're a genius with this sort of thing can i uh, attempt to open it i mean is it is it a, a sort of locked device what you conclude by looking at it because of your um, great skill in this is that it, it it's it's old it's old decommissioned stuff and obsolete um it, it it's not going to be easy to open it looks like it's got some kind of electronic lock on it okay well i'll uh, i'll try get the uh, screwdrivers out of the box of tricks and try and get this thing open okay roll a new security system okay we've got 70 percent in it i think okay thank you look at that so it was old but uh you know you've got the skills yeah it, it it slowly opens with a grinding noise as um, it, there's more intense heat. It's filling with uh, dry ice, and you find yourself into the uh, maintenance uh, maintenance room of this uh, satellite. Stenciled on the wall are various uh, you know warnings um, and hazards. Okay, uh, Avon's going to have a look at the uh, computer systems and see. I think probably see whether he can shut down the whole system from here. Actually, would be better, wouldn't it? Rather than shut down one, can he can he do some kind of chain reaction that will shut oh. down all of them or or several? Yeah. That would be a lovely special effect, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. So he's going to try that, which would be eighty percent uh, computer science. Oh, it's going to be embarrassing, isn't it? it what well, I'd say, well, I'll give you the option. You can use computer science to see uh, whether that's possible, or you can use your force wall systems, um, which may give you greater knowledge. 
because it's more specific. It is very specific. Force wall systems, 50%. Yeah. Oh, okay. Can, can uh, everyone check and see if they've got a find assassin role? It is, it is <laughs> very, very specific. Kai <laughs> role. <laughs> right, yeah, go on. I'll try for I'll try force wall. I'll look at it with with a view to force wall systems. Let's have a let's have a look at that first. Come on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Good good work. I knew I'd said the eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> it's all going exactly to plan. Avon concludes that it is probably possible to make a temporary break in the uh, shield, but it would be restored very quickly. The two engines um, on each of the satellites that seem to kick in if one's disabled. When 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 one's bypassed, the other one goes into place. But it'll give you like a, a, a enough of a window, enough of a break. So when you, how long would that be? Does he know? Um, can he estimate how much, how long that window of opportunity would be? Not specific enough because it may be required to uh, create dramatic tension at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so would it be worth leaving Avon on there, the villa? A couple of us teleport down to the planet and find the assassin, and then when we need to come up, you can then try and knock it off again. That sounds excellent. Yeah. True. I could leave Gam. I was, I was Gam feeling now. You know? Oh, he's still in the sick bay. Raging, so, raging. Oh, pity, pity. Oh. Stick him on the teleport thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. Wow. I, was, <laughs> I, can't, I can't hear Avon. I, I, I'm guessing he's probably pretty pleased with me. <laughs> he, he won't be moaning or anything at the moment. No. Hey, Blake, would you, do you think he'd like to take this bomb with you? So, wait a minute. So, are we going to leave... Avon in the satellite ready to um, bring the system crashing down while we uh, I hear it was a bit unpredictable and sometimes it shut out so if we teleported down during a routine blackout and then we had Avon there ready to sort us out with a guaranteed blackout the moment we needed it would that be the best way to do it information about these systems that sounds rational. <laughs> I'm so happy yeah that's that's true it is intermittent so you can see that this um, switch between the different systems is happening all the time. You, you probably conclude, Avon, you, you can see that this shield has not been activated for a number of years and it seems to have been started up only recently, perhaps in the last few hours. Aha! Oh. So they know we're coming. Confirm yeah. my, my suspicions. Yeah, I'll relay this back to Blake. Nick of time. Nick of time. All right, Avon... Avon's going to shut it, shut it down then. But I think he's going to insist on being teleported back to the Liberator. I don't think he likes the idea. But it's, it's the getting out that worries us the most, because that's a, that's a bit that we really need a man with your expertise to guarantee us a way out. The getting out we, that worries Avon the most as well. Because because we could wait. If if you wait there on the satellite, um, uh, the rest of us can wait. You know until there's an intermittent shutdown, teleport down. We can keep in contact with you. Um, and uh, uh, first thing, you shut it down, everybody teleports back to the Liberator. So who's done the teleport and the Liberator then? We need someone on. Oh, I could volunteer for that. No, we can get... Sam <laughs> can probably do it, can't he? We'll get you there, it just might be a bit late. Oh dear, all right. A bit late. Right, so <laughs> Blake will go on the teleporter, the rest of you teleport down, me and Avon will stay up in orbit, me keeping an eye on the Liberator, Avon... Providing your back door, 
and the rest of you can go and track this guy down. Just one question, Blake. What do you want me to do with this bomb? <laughs> <laughs> don't turn it on. Still, it, it, that is, it on. <laughs> I don't know what you've heard of a uh, 20th century uh, uh, Earth playwright called Chekhov. <laughs> it, that is Chekhov's bomb, uh, uh, Villa. At some point, it will come into use. Uh, trust me on this. Just carry it with you. At some point, you will know what to do with it. Yeah. This is Villa. Villa will continue to hold this uh, lunchbox-sized flashing bomb in front of it. Yeah, at the time being. Okay, so successfully. So let's well, just uh, let's I'll de deactivate the shield. Okay, so yeah. you've got we've got Avon on the satellite. So we need to teleport Villa from the satellite down to the planet and us down to the planet. Basically, everyone's going down to the planet except for Avon and Blake. Is that right? Yeah. Because so. <clears throat> you can't die because it's named after your. Oh, actually, it's yeah, stupid to have a series without Blake in, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. That'd, yeah. Be, that'd be a ridiculous idea, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think we can all agree that'd be mad. So, so cool. I, I will make a heroic. Could Zen use the teleport? I think yeah. you'll find it's not a problem. There you go. <laughs> oh. You're all down there. Jenna, and Villa, and uh, Callie. You find yourself. In, it's almost like a quarry uh, that it's you're like in. a quarry. <laughs> Hello, my name's Guy Milner. I blog about one-shot RPG gaming at burnafterrunningrpg.com. I run the monthly meetup for RPG games in Leeds, Go Play Leeds, um, and I'm one of the organisers of the Seven Hills Role Playing Convention. Um, I also write and edit some RPG stuff. Um, and this is my first, last, and everything. So, my first is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Um, I think it was 11 or 12, and I had some Christmas money. Um, so, I went into Leeds and found this weird shop called Games Workshop that had all these weird, like, model soldiers in and stuff. And I was into that. That looked good. Um, and fortunately, my dad was into model railways, so he wasn't freaked out by that kind of weirdness. And so went in and spent probably quite a long time looking around and seeing what, what was what. Um, and I think, I mean, I was attracted, first of all, to the, the miniatures and stuff. But I think I only had like 15 quid of Christmas money left and worked out that they were more expensive than what I could afford at that moment. So I thought, well, it looks like if I buy this role play book, and some dice, I'm good to go. I can just I can just play it forever then. So that's like the best value. It's that like typical Yorkshire, isn't it? Um, so I, I bought it and I took it on the train and then gradually began this kind of attempt to decipher it and work out what role playing was um, just with this one book. And it was great, you know. I, I made some abortive attempts to run it for friends at school. You know, when you'd finished, when you round at the house, you finished playing on the game by. I will just crack open this. Um, not very successful, not that great. And it was probably a, a year or so until I managed to, from that, start buying White Dwarf and then Valkyrie and other magazines like that and, and actually find a, a role-playing club to, to, to go to. So did the thing that you did in those days, which is you, you'd ring a number in the back of a magazine, you'd speak to someone's mum who'd go and get them and they'd come downstairs and tell you when they met and what games they were playing. And then you'd kind of just show up at Bradford Library um, and see. And I 
came along with my copy of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and never played Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay um, again for many years. They, they just weren't into that. They played um, a bit grognardy, really. It was well into second edition AD&D, but they played first edition AD&D and they played the same modules over and over again. Um, but but it was great. So um, I had that. I had a club. I was also up. I, 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 I was great. Um, and the bug had bit me then. So my last, the last game that I ran was at GoPlay Leeds, and it was Dungeon Crawl Classics. Um, and I ran the module The Hole in the Sky by Brendan LaSalle. Um, and it's a bit out of my comfort zone. I don't normally run kind of old school dungeony things. I tend to run more kind of indie games or games like Fate that are a bit more narrative and I, I can fit in. But I was trying to go outside and push myself. So I thought I'd do it and I got the, got the module and, and, and ran it and it was ace. Um, if you don't know about Dungeon Crawl Classics, one of its things is that you can start play at zero level. And so everyone plays four characters at once um, to start with. Um, and they're all, you know, classless peasants. And due, during the course of that first adventure, obviously, lots of them die. But the ones that survive, it feel, they feel like kind of true heroes. So you start playing, you all turnip farmers and beekeepers with like two hit points and a goat. Um, and it's really clever because the players were trying really hard to not get over attached to these characters, knowing that like one bad dice roll, they could die, but they can't help themselves. And by the end of it, it's a real kind of transformation. You felt like you've gone through it. And the module is, is absolutely brilliant at that. It's kind of, it takes zero level characters on this massive multi-dimensional quest um, facing like vastly powerful foes. It feels like a sort of 10th level adventure, not a zero level adventure. Um, and it was loads of fun. I really enjoyed it. And I was really glad that I'd kind of taken a punt on running a game that wasn't what I'd normally run. So for my everything, I go to a lot of conventions. Um, and when I first got back into gaming, I started by going to conventions. Go Play Leeds is a, a, a one-shot monthly meetup. So it's like a mini one slot of a convention once a month. Um, and, and the game that I first ran at cons when I, I started going to them um, and I've run a lot since, is, is Mouse Guard. Um, it's a game of the comics and graphic novels. Um, in the setting, um, it's a kingdom of anthropomorphic mice who have this sort of post-medieval existence that they scrape out in this kind of idyllic setting, um, a series of towns around the territories. Um, you play the Mouse Guard that are sort of roving rangers that go between towns and sort out problems. Um, and the but you're still mouse sized, um, so you're always under threat from kind of owls and snakes. And there's an evil weasel kingdom that's that's over the ascent border that your scientists have developed to keep them at bay. And even during the winter, like a storm can be really, really dangerous. Um, so one of the key things that makes it so good is that you can't achieve anything unless you, you work together. So the whole system is based around teamwork. Um, and so a combat in Mouse Guard isn't really each individual player takes their turn. It's all you work together and decide as a team what you're going to do. Um, and it does that in a really clever way. Um, the system's really elegant as well. It, it's a dice pool system uh, generally, but it's got a, a really nice scripted combat mechanic where you'd, you pick your three actions um, in advance and your opponents do, the GM does, and how they interact is really, really interesting. And you work out how that works narratively. And you use exactly the same system for that as you do for persuading someone or like oratory to try and sway a crowd so some of my best 
kind of gaming moments as a GM have been in Mouse Guard where someone's trying to like persuade the war goose herder to let them have have some war geese for the coming battle or kind of rouse up a town militia to to defend their their, their, their homes against against the weasels instead of just surrendering to them um, and I used to run it every con that I went to it was kind of my thing that whatever I run I'd also run Mouse Guard and it, it, it was a kind of thing that I did um, but I haven't actually run it for like three or four years so um, I'm really tr trying to get back into it um, Going to run it at Grogmeat, so um, if I see you there and you fancy some heroic murine action, just catch me there and sign up for Mouse Guard and check it out. Gizmaster Scream! Welcome to the room of role-playing <laughs> rumbling. Oh, hello, hello Blythe. Hello. It's a while since we've had... It is. It's a while since I've erected this uh, screen in front of you, <laughs> isn't it? It is, yes. So um, we're going we're gonna to talk about all things... Blake Seven. Yes. I've got a table in front of me mm. yeah. that I'm going to roll apparently at random. Uh, yes. Secret Games Master's roll. Yeah. That you point, can't see. Point, has anyone really ever look at Secret Roll and go, that's, that's definitely what's happening then? But anyway, <laughs> continue. Yeah, just a noise, isn't it? It's just a noise. Just a noise. So uh, apparently at random, I'm just going to look on this uh, table mm -hmm. and uh, we'll have a discussion. All things Blake Seven. Okay, I'm ready for this. Are you ready? Here goes. Oh, here we go. This is seven, and it's roll the seven. Roll the seven. It's fortuitous, isn't it? Yeah, Very fitting. It's funny. It's a six-sided dice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a seven, and it is Blythe fanboy. Yes, because you are a bit of a fanboy. I aren't am you? a fanboy, Blake Seven. I have been since I was about. 10. 10? Yeah, I would have been yeah, 78 when it was first aired. I would have been 9 or 10 when I started watching it, yeah. The original series, yeah. And how did you come across it? Because it's not one of those things that would have been heavily promoted, would it? Or did you know it was coming? I, I just can't remember. I, I think it, it, it just probably caught my eye because it was science fiction, wasn't it? So, 1978, 10 year old boy in Britain, Star Wars. Star Trek, Doctor Who, although it fit in with all the things I liked, so I just watched it. My mum, you mentioned this before about my mum, big, big army drama person. Yeah. She always used to do uh, rehearsals on a Monday night, so my dad would be in watching the telly. My dad didn't really care for the telly too much, so I, I think that was part of it as well. Monday nights, I had a bit of a free reign of the TV for that reason. And so what about it appealed? I mean, apart from the obvious like, science fiction and, mm. and stuff, what, what was it that... It's so enduring, because you, you're, different, you're different from someone, because this is not nostalgia for you, is it? No. It, no, I, I think it, it caught my attention, because it was... It, it had characters who felt kind of grown up and ambiguous. And although at the age of 10 I didn't know what the word ambiguous meant... I suppose that ambiguity transfixed me, really, because it wasn't like Star Trek, where Captain Kirk and Spock are the good guys, or Star Wars, where generally we knew who's good and we knew who's bad. It wasn't like that. It was a bit more ambiguous. Avon, particularly in the earlier episodes, Avon, you're not quite sure whether this character's going to stick around. Stuff like and that. The reason why I say it's not nostalgia for you is because... You, you will champion it now, won't you? You, you, yes. you say that this is the single most... Greatest TV show ever made. It is. 
well, all right. <laughs> but I still, I still think it, it's good, and I think it's revolutionary TV. It's like when people watch Game of Thrones, isn't it? People talk about Game of Thrones now, and they say, oh, Game of Thrones, oh, it's not like Lord of the Rings, you know. It's got it's ambiguity, and, and you don't quite know who's a good guy, and sometimes people do bad things to each other, and that kind of stuff. And you think, doing that in Blake 7 back in 1978... You know, they were doing that then. It was a kind of ground... I think it was groundbreaking TV because it took a kind of fantasy science fiction theme and gave the characters a level of ambiguity and a level of, in some ways, slightly unpalatable character traits that didn't normally fit into that kind of TV show. Game of Thrones of its day. Yeah. So you'll sit down now... Yeah, and you'll watch it. Oh yeah, God, I will. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people not the special effects, but I would say it's unfair, isn't it? Because they didn't have the budget and they didn't have the technology that they've got now. It's it's no, it's not really fair to go. Oh, look at that spaceship on a piece of string. But I know, I know people who can't watch it, so they'll say, oh, people tell me not to watch it. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, and yeah. and I've watched it for the first time over yeah. the last uh, few months when I knew we were doing this podcast, and I know that all through knowing you, I've known you since I was uh, 12, yes. and you have been an advocate for Blake. <laughs> trying to get you to watch it. And it's taken this bloody podcast to get you to watch it, hasn't it? There you go. <laughs> this podcast achieved nothing else. It's achieved that. And, and, I, and I've watched it, and... and I can see the appeal of it. I can see the appeal of it. But it took a bit of a, thre- a pain threshold yes. to get through some of the ropey yes. special effects. Yes. And I can, I can, I can sympathise with that. I think I'm a little bit blind to it because I've seen them so many times. I just accept that that's the way they are. And I suppose that is a bit of nostalgia where it is sort of funny to chuckle at the special effect and go, look at that. <laughs> That's not very good, is it? But they were doing that. I remember that was happening whilst it was on because Terry Wogan would make a really big yeah, deal. Yeah, there was. There was, a, yes. The DJ Terry Wogan on Radio 2 would, would go on about it and poke fun at it, you know. Um, particularly when Blake, you know, disappears at the end of season two. Blake disappears and there's, there's not seven of them because... Well, there is seven, because you get ORAC, computer. two of them are computers, not people. So there are seven, but there's no God Blake. Um, I've, watched, I've watched the first, um, first season, and it, there are particular episodes that are stronger than others. Yes, yeah. Um, some of the aliens are actually quite freaky, aren't they? It, yeah, um, yeah. That little man who... It was just like a man's face with a little body. He's <laughs> a man's head pushed through a cardboard wall. I think... Like, it's like a kind of weird... Uh, one of those things at the seaside, isn't it, where you put your head through that? That's what they've done. There's lots of those things at the seaside. But I put stick your head through this hole, and underneath your chin will attach a weird, wizened body, and it'll look like that's your body. And um, <laughs> Like a weightlifter. Thing. Outside there was like these things banging on the wall, like, yeah, like yeah. bits of carpet on them. Yeah. Like banging on the wall. Yeah. And... Don't, even though it was ropey, there's something really chilling about it because yeah, the yeah. story, the, the story is good. Yeah, yeah. I think when they get in, they go on the rampage, don't they? Kind of smashing things up. It's, yeah. a, bit, it's a bit kind of it's borderline disturbing, isn't it? Yeah, extremely. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Isn't the one of them crying at one point? Yeah. It's like tears. Yeah. One of these. Yeah, 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 they're, they're like um, pathetic creatures, like yeah. in the sense of pathos. They're yeah. like they're, they're, they're slain. But that's. I mean, almost everything you mentioned 
is another good example of what I'm talking about. That there you have a program with this weird, freaky little wizen-bodied, big-headed thing that, although it was a bit rubbish, was was just odd to look at. It was freaky. And then you have these weird little aliens. One of you know we've seen crying, which again, yeah, we don't see aliens doing that even now, do you? You know, no. they, they were kind of the. It gave them a sort of humanity, which. Again, as a 10, 11-year-old, it's like a bit of a curveball. You're watching this thing thinking, oh, yeah, aliens, oh, they're going to be like monstrous things. But they're not monstrous things, you know. And, and you know, even though you sometimes aliens, they're not always bad and all that. But to see one tearful is, 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 is odd, isn't it? It yeah, is odd. It, is it odd. pulls you up, doesn't it? You think, oh, I'm not expecting that. And it's full of things, I think, all the way through it, that you're just not really expecting. Have you ever been to a Blake 7 convention? No. Have you, I regret I, not doing And have you ever met any of the cast members? No. So I you, don't... You never meet your heroes. Well, oh, it, some of them are dead now, so this, this topic can't is, see them anymore. This topic is fanboy. Blithy, fanboy, no. question mark. No, I've not. I, I once investigated going <laughs> to a convention. I think it was... Um, a range. I said, not the conventions. I, I once joined uh, an internet group, a fan group, the Blake Seven. Um, this was in the early days of uh, the internet, wasn't it? Like, or when you first get. Yeah, it. yeah. It was one of the things. When you thought, what am I supposed to do with the internet before I went on Twitter or anything? What am I supposed to do with it? I thought, well, I'll join a web. I'll talk to other Blake Seven fans, and they organised. They weren't. They were to say they're a convention is too too grand a term but they would organise things like it was like a pub in uh, Oxfordshire and Paul Darrow and Gareth Thomas would, would turn up you know and sign autographs and things and I, I did consider going to one but then I just thought I just like a fish out of water there wouldn't I what is a pub pub in Oxfordshire it makes the pub how many people are there that would be weird wouldn't it are there like ten people there and you're one of the ten there's nine people there and Gareth Thomas walks in what did you say to him I thought you were great in Blake 7. He said, well, I didn't like it. I left off the two series. Oh, well, you know, you're here now, thankfully. <laughs> but I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't face it. My lack of social skills kind of won over and I thought, I can't do that. So, so what I'm going to do here on this table, I'm going to cross out fanboy and put mildly enthusiastic. Mildly enthusiastic. It's probably that's true of everything in my life, actually. <laughs> Sorry, family. <laughs> right, next up. It's the Blake 7 RPG. Oh, yes. So we've played this. Yeah. And you've had a, the rules, you've had yeah, a look at through yeah, them yeah. and had a read them. This is the game that was produced by Horizon, mm. uh, the fan club. And it's a, it's true to say that it's a fan set of rules, isn't it? Done yeah. in 1994. 1994. Um, and at its heart, it is a percentile based system, isn't it? Yes. It's basic role playing, isn't it? Especially open, it seems to have heavily influenced by RuneQuest, I would think. It's like the initiative system has initiative points, doesn't it? So it feels reminiscent of Strike Rank. Yes. That kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's very reminiscent. This is very much like basic role-playing, and it has echoes of second edition RuneQuest in there. It has hit locations and stuff like that, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And it, uh, it's probably a pared-down version of RuneQuest, if that's possible. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Essentially, it, because it doesn't, it essentially, this is a percentile based one, isn't it? Yeah. To, to resolve things, you have a very specific skill. It's, it does that thing that I especially like annoying that it strips the skills down. I think there's a farming skill. Farming? No, I might be wrong, but I don't. Is there a farming? I never there's a farming plot line in Blake 7. I mean, I, I've just said that it occasionally surprised you, and I suppose a farming plot line would have been a surprise, but it never, had, it never went that far. But yeah. he does have a farming skill. Yeah. When we were playing it, I was playing Avon. I think he had 20% farming. You were better at farming than firing guns, weren't you? He might have been, yeah. Yeah. You, you never saw his room, did you? never saw Avon's room. Maybe he had a lot of tomato plants in there. You don't know, do you? You might be spending his time talking to computers and plants, like a kind of, I don't know, weird Steve Jobs, Prince Charles hybrid kind of character. <laughs> Talking to his tomato because you never saw in their uh, personal quarters, so we we don't know. We don't know, yeah. So it's about yeah, being speculative. Yeah, you can't fire that gun, you can't shoot that gun straight, Avon, but you want to see his tomato plants, they're not bad for a man with 20% farming. What I what I found uh, interesting looking at these rules is considering when this appeared, so it appeared in uh, 1994, so it's, mm. you know, it's a good 15. Yeah, yeah, it's, after. Uh, yeah, it's moving into the new age of RPGs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's using, um, for want of a better term, old game technology, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's around this time, isn't it, that in the background things like fudge were appearing. Yeah, they feel old school, don't yeah. they? Yeah, you know. Do they give you what you need to replicate and emulate the television program? You played it. Yeah, you, you've read yeah. it mm-hmm. and looked at. Do you have the one? Because in, in there, there's character creation. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about character creation because in this, in this, can you imagine doing anything else but play Blake Seven character, yeah. characters from the I TV mean, I series? think it, looking at it in the whole, I think it does a good job of picking out bits from the stories. So it gives the setting it gives you is they did quite a good job so they know about all the various bits and pieces that they've plucked out of the episodes and that's good but then on top of that you've got the character creation and then you've got the starship combat which we'll probably come on to I'm not entirely convinced of it as a system really because it would be a perfectly good time playing it and we all participated in trying to play the character we were playing. But I don't know if the system particularly enhanced that or supported that experience, if that makes sense. I, yeah, I didn't I feel it. like the system was propping up me being Avon, playing Avon. I, I don't think it really helped in any way. Did it hinder? Probably didn't hinder, but it certainly didn't help. Because I think trying to recreate the characters from a TV show in a role-playing game, there are probably better systems out there that would do something like that. Yeah. There's, there's nothing... Yeah. I suppose what I'm... Because th- one of the things with Blake 7 that makes Blake 7 interesting is the characters, the, the seven, if you like, are personalities... As I said earlier, they're like flawed people, people who are driven by kind of conflicting emotions and conflicting motives. And that's what makes Blake 7 interesting. You know, it's not like they're all on a ship and they're all 
completely signed up to Blake's cause. They're, they're, they're very different now. The Jenna, for example, you get the feeling she has a bit of a thing for Blake and she'd follow him anywhere. Avon, very cynical. Villa's a coward. I don't, and I don't feel like the, the game system recreated those drivers, if you know what I mean, that no. make the programme interesting. It was, a, it was just a load of numbers on a sheet. And it allowed you to play it, but it didn't... For example, yeah, I was playing Avon, but I didn't feel there was anything on the character sheet that really demonstrated Avon's cold, calculating, borderline evil personality that allowed me to bring that into the game in any kind of mechanical way. Yeah. And we started this year, didn't we, looking at how there are certain things that have influenced us and certain settings that have appealed to us, and how do we convert that into a gaming experience? I suppose this is an example, isn't it? This is somebody with the technology that they had in 1994 interpreting Blake 7. Yes. But it feels somehow deficient. I can't imagine rolling a character and playing another character in the world of Blake 7 because, as you say, it's the actual characters yes, in the game. That, yeah. But that, that contradicts our usual feeling because when we talked about uh, James Bond, we said we'd hate to play James Bond in uh, a James Bond game. You want to play yeah, yeah. in the world of James Bond. Yeah. yeah. But then I suppose with Blake 7, if, if the game had got mechanics that dealt with personality types you could perhaps create different characters maybe i don't know so you could you could in effect use uh, use that and then use some of the bits from mythras about passions well that's it isn't it if 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 avon had had three passions that sort of encompassed his, his personality and you could bring those into play it would feel a bit more like Blake 7 it would feel a bit more like the TV show or things like Aspects in Fate if he had three aspects of his cal- character that you could bring into play it would feel more like Blake 7 or Edges in um, Savage Worlds yeah, yeah Edges, thing, things like that which Wings. a lot of this lot new, newer modern more modern games do have don't they well, they do do well. Uh, it's a couple of things. I think some of the illustrations are quite good because mm. they're clearly amateur illustrations, yeah, but they do right, they? capture the essence of the uh, yeah. characters. Also, the other thing it does well is the um, background stuff. I think it does do a great yeah, job, job summarising that. Yeah. And when you think um, nowadays, when we think of a TV programme, we've got all of that at our disposal on the internet, haven't we? I suppose the appeal yeah. of a game like that to fans yeah. was that it just puts everything in one place. Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the biggest the Starship combat rules are a bit of a bugbear in it. They, they don't really work. I couldn't really much make head or tail of them, really. No. But to be fair to them, does any role-playing game ever get Starship combat right? OK. I, I, can't, I can't think of a game I've played where I thought Starship combat is... Perfect and slick, and you know. Let's roll again on the table on that note. Okay. Oh, I've rolled an eight on two d six. It's got to be traveller because <laughs> you've played in traveller Blake's, haven't you? I have, you? yes, yeah. Um, and does that do a better job of it? Not particularly, no, no, because again, traveller. 
same problem, doesn't it? It doesn't really encompass people's personalities. There's not very little in Traveller that encompasses your personality. So it probably doesn't do, you know... I mean, it probably doesn't do a worse job, you know. One of the things of playing the game, you know, running it, mm. is I made the conscious decision that I was going to set this in the world of the TV series. Yes. So instead of it being... Um, and what I mean by that is that it, it, it was recognisable. So it used the same tech, the same dodgy appearance of things. Yeah, the same kind of structure as well of, of, of the plot around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think all that is borrowed from new stuff as well. So, yeah. um, you know, that it was framed in that way. And I was very clear up front that, you know, some of this might be limited by set availability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a recreation of a TV show through the medium of role-playing game rather than a role-playing game that pretends you live in the universe of that TV show. So it's yeah. a slightly different thing. Yeah. yeah. So you've, you've played it twice, haven't you? And I assume that when you've done it before, were you playing in the worlds of... Um, Blake 7. I think when we played, yeah, when we played the Traveller game, we were playing in the world of Blake 7. It wasn't structured like a TV, the TV show. It was, it was the world of Blake 7 that so, we were playing. Playing the characters in the universe of Blake 7, not recreating a TV show. Of the two, I'm going I'm to ask you now, <laughs> which works better? Which works better? I think trying to do it as the TV show is, is the better way to do it because I think that in essence is what, is what you are doing, isn't it? That, that's what you're trying to emulate. Yeah. So I suppose it's debatable, without getting too highfalutin, it's debatable whether any TV show with that hour-long format can be replicated in terms of living in that TV show's universe because really that TV's universe doesn't exist outside of those hour-long shows, does it? No. I don't no. want to get a bit highfalutin, <laughs> but it doesn't, does it? It's like what you've got, it's a bit like Star Trek, isn't it, or any of these things. What you've got is an hour-long TV show, episodes of an hour. And once you try and break that down and go, well, we're going to live in the universe of these TV shows, what you find is it's it starts to crumble a bit, doesn't it? Because really, they're not built like that. It's almost like the narrative structure and the universe are one and the same thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And once you try and pull them apart, it, it starts to fall apart. The, the Blake 7 Traveller game was perfectly enjoyable, but ultimately it just felt, almost ended up feeling like a game of Traveller. Because... It didn't feel like the TV show in the end. I get you. You see what I mean? So once you pull apart... The universe and the structure of it are the same thing. Once you pull them apart, it falls apart, I think, to some extent. It's a bit like our game of Robin Sherwood with with, um, Fate, isn't it? That that was successful because it operated like a TV show. And I, like you with the Blake 7 game, I wrote it with, this is it going to operate like the TV show but once you and this is probably more understandable to people who are not familiar with Blake 7 
if you then did Fate, Robin Hood, very quickly, it would just become like any old Robin Hood. It would just become yeah. like a normal role-playing game, wouldn't it? Because I think I said to you at the time, when I was putting that game together, I became worried at one point. I thought, this is just like a role-playing It's like D&D, where you're bandits fighting soldiers. It's not Robin Hood. And the only way I managed to make it like Robin Hood was to think, no, 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 think of it like the TV show. Think of it like that hour and structure it like that TV show. And then it falls into place. But once you separate the two out, Blake 7 just becomes like, mm, just travel, just going around the universe in a spaceship fighting people. It's not Blake 7 then, really, is it? Uh, how did it influence the games that you ran back in the day? It's hard to say, really, thinking back. I think I always wanted traveller games to be as enjoyable as Blake 7. When we, when we used to run them back in the day. That, that's what I had in my mind, but I don't think they ever did, possibly for that reason, that, you know, certainly at the age of 13, 14, I wasn't thinking, hmm, I must structure this, just like the TV show, using the similar tropes and narrative di- <laughs> narrative element. I wasn't thinking that, was I? I just wanted it to be like Blake 7, but it probably wasn't really. Yeah. And also, I suppose, the, always that odd thing with Traveller, isn't it, that... There's the Imperium, but the Imperium's never particularly depicted as a, an evil empire, whereas the Federation sort of is. I mean, the Federation is using a pacifying drug, isn't it, on, you know, the Prilene 50 that they're putting in the water supply to pacify people. They are painted fairly dark, sort of almost like the Nazis, really, aren't they? Yeah. The black uniform, that's, that's what they're like weird combination of the Nazi party run by Margaret Thatcher you know in the form of Serverland the worst of all worlds but in Traveller there isn't really an evil empire it's a little bit more subtle isn't it, the Imperium probably I do do bad things but they're not not certainly when we were playing it they weren't depicted in those little black books as an evil empire so it didn't quite work I think in the Traveller games that we used to play, you just ended up as outlaws rather than freedom fighters. You just descended. I think this is true of all traveller games. You do turn into murder hobos with a spaceship, don't you? Yeah, well, certainly when we played it, we did, yeah. Uh, it seems to be true of everyone. Everyone everyone who played it back in the day says yeah. that. Oh, yeah. it just turned into, you know, yeah. going around shooting people and stealing things. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you're in space. Okay. And you can rescue one of the seven over the series, right? Over the complete series. Yeah. Because I know yeah. people came and went. People came and went, didn't they? Yeah. 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 Which one would you rescue? Well, I think if you're asking the 12 year old, 30 year old me, it would have been either Jenna or Sulin. Right. But that, but you know, I'm mature now. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Avon's the obvious one, isn't he? Uh, but I always, as a kid, I, Villa was probably my favourite character. You know, I'd probably rescue Villa because, in a way, Villa, of all of them, he was the one who least deserved to die. You know, I mean, all the others were, you know, slightly villainous in their own way, weren't they? Blake was a fanatic. You, you mean they die? Oh, um, 
No, I don't worry. I think um, the guns are set to stump. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> See you next time. Bye then. Bye. If you've been following the grognardfiles.com site, you'll know that I'll put a call out for submissions for the fourth grognardzine, which will be released around March, April 2020. This time, the grognardzine will be a people's history of RPGs. I'm looking for submissions from you which feature memories of your favourite games, handouts, homemade worlds, characters and experiences from back in the day. I'd really like to develop a picture of the global activity of the Grog Squad back in the day, illustrated with handmade stuff recovered from attics and lofts. The Grogzine is one of the projects funded by our Patreon campaign. We're grateful to everyone who listens, likes and reviews the podcast as it keeps us going. Those who throw a tip in every month in the beret are especially cherished as it keeps us going by covering the costs and allowing us to do different things. Thanks. Uh, thank you to the new honorary members of the Armchair Adventurers Club. At the comfy chair level, welcome to James Holloway, Simon Marr, Chris Taylor and Jonathan Cockrum. Thanks. Sit back and enjoy. At the fancy poof level, Gareth Wilson, Luke Harris, Bud's RPG Review... Martin Glassborough and Paulo, who's increased. Put your feet up. So far, so good. At this level, I like to pick, apparently at random, a virtual gift. Now, the White Dwarf Book Club reopens on thegrugnardfiles.com in September, so to mark its return, I'm offering issues that we've covered so far. Dan Connolly gets issue 92, with Kylie Minogue, the Orc Slayer, on the cover. Kay Elling gets number 48, with databases in Traveller. Yes, finally. Vivian Dunstan, who's increased her pledge, got issue 85, a RuneQuest special. Finn Cullen has got issue 65, a cover that was rendered into a horrible plastic figure. Alexander Watson gets issue 41 with a freeway death ride car war scenario. Chris Harvey's increased pledge gets issue 53 to recreate Minus Tirith on your dining room table. Gareth Wilson gets issue 78. Just dread the sprung ones. Thanks all of you for your support. Enjoy being a couch potato. Finally, at the high-backed chair with wings and a contour rug, you know, like those little pink things your grandma had around in the toilet. Well, at that level, we give thanks to Brendan Sharples, Doccon Andrew Cowie, Blake himself has increased his pledge, Paul and Phil Budowski have just crunched and all rolled up. And Steve Rice. And Steve gave the Patreon a boost in the very early days, so thanks for increasing your pledge, Steve. Thank you all very much. It's been a big one, this one, hasn't it? Until next time, fade to black. Adios, amigos. <laughs>